Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we have another installment of Winning the Job. This series is dedicated to speaking with musicians who have recently won an orchestral audition and working to find out what they think made them so successful. This episode will feature Haley Bangs. Haley recently won the second flute position with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Haley has taken 29 orchestral auditions, so she has quite a bit of experience and knowledge to share with us about taking auditions. Before we get started, most of the time with these episodes, I'll do some sort of voiceover so that my questions are taken out. But in Haley's interview, it seems that there's so much back and forth, I feel it would interrupt the flow. So I'm going to do far less voiceover and just let the episode play as the interview happened. That being said, we began the interview with me asking her how big the list was for Cincinnati or how many excerpts were on the audition list. Here's what she said. You know, most flute lists are pretty long, but I remember it being very reasonable. You know, it wasn't two pages and, you know, for every excerpt it said, have the whole part ready to go, you know, because I've been to auditions where that's the case and that's very overwhelming. So I thought this was, you know, I think it was about a page in length and it had a nice variety of first part, second parts, some piccolo. So you've taken, you said in a conversation we had on, on Messenger that mm-hmm. you've taken, was it 30 auditions, right? Actually, I have, I have a list on my phone. I've taken 29 auditions. 29 auditions. So at this point, you probably have a relatively prepared system, I suppose, for how you break down a list and maybe categories that you put things in so you know how often to practice them. Obviously, some excerpts sure. are going to be more difficult than others. So do you mind trying to... Uh, as best you can, explain what your process is for how you break down, just even organizing the list in the first place. Sure. Right. Well, I have, you know, an audition binder. And even if I have multiple auditions coming up, I keep all of them in that same binder. All the excerpts are in there. I make photocopies of pretty much everything. um, And I try to reuse the same excerpts for auditions because I always learn something from each one. And I like to make little notes, at least next to the music, So as far as the earliest stages of prep, I will run through the whole list. I will just play it down. Whether I've just played an audition recently or it's been several months since I've done one, and I just see how everything feels. And I will put them into three categories, the first of which is I can play this anytime. It's going to pretty much always sound the same, and it doesn't really need work. So maybe something slow and lyrical like our excerpt from Carmen. Then there's the the second list, which are things that I can still play pretty well, but I should probably clean them up a bit, Mm -hmm. do some really slow metronome work on them, spend some time with a tuner. And then the third list are ones that just, for lack of a better term, sound like garbage, or ones that I just, you know, I haven't looked at in a really long time. I mean, there are some excerpts that no matter how many times you practice them, every time you come back to them, they're just as difficult as they were before, like um, Prokofiev's Classical Symphony. For, for, For me, anyways, I always have to put in a ton of work into that one before every audition. So those three categories, and then I go from there. About how long do you spend uh, preparing for an audition? Do you have a specific amount of time you like, like four weeks or six weeks, or 
Does it just depend on the audition? Sure. Uh, well, ideally, at least in the beginning, in the beginning when I first started taking auditions, and then, you know, there was a long break for me where I wasn't taking any, and then getting back into them, I'd like to have at least four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. But I really got to a point within the last two years where I was just taking them all the time. And I didn't always have four weeks to prepare for them. And a lot of these auditions, the prep would kind of overlap. You know, I'd have one audition one week, and then a week later, I'd have a completely different list that I'd have to audition on. So I'd say the ideal amount of time is a month. But I think once you're like a seasoned auditioner, you don't necessarily need that much time. Right. At that so, point, it really it, it's really like how you choose because some days you might only have an hour. At that point, it's really how you choose to spend that hour. So, so you said you took some time off yeah. and then you came back to it. I did. Did you find yourself having to spend more time or did you find yourself being able to kind of fall back into the groove of being a seasoned audition taker? Oh, it took me a while for sure mm-hmm. because I wasn't really playing my excerpts anymore, which was, of course, very freeing. But yeah, getting <laughs> back into them. And taking time to take listen to different recordings and just re-familiarize myself with things. This is when I was in the Navy band in Washington, D.C., so I was really not spending a, a ton of time playing orchestral music. Right. We played transcription, but, you know, I, and it's not that I wasn't listening to that music for, for enjoyment anymore, but I really had to take some time to re-familiarize myself with recordings and with scores and just remind myself of how the various parts fit in. I think at, at that Stage for me when I was getting back into it, that's when having at least four to six weeks was really important. Do you approach it progressively at all? Do you play things slow in the beginning? Like once you do that initial run, like you talked about, do you play things slow in the sure. beginning or do you kind of just isolate things and then put them back in there at full tempo? Do you do lots of runs? Like this is kind of like mm-hmm. now we get down to the individual excerpts. Kind of how do you break down? Right. Let's say the hard list you discussed. Like, sure. how do you break this thing mm-hmm. down so that you feel confident when the audition rolls around? Oh, right. Definitely very slow practice with metronome. I I try to make sure that, especially initially, I have my metronome playing subdivisions mm-hmm. from the smallest ones, and then I gradually move those out just so that I know my inner rhythms are good. I also record myself while I'm practicing slowly. That way, if there are some flaws that I'm not really noticing just on my own, I, I can catch them early on. But yes, I also do, you know, isolated sections that are much more difficult. I'll spend some time working on those. And if there's something rhythmic that's really tough, just to change it up, I will practice things using different rhythms mm-hmm. or play things backwards. I think I think when we do that, especially if it's something we've played over and over again, it just I'm not a scientist obviously, but I think it reactivates a certain a certain part of our brain that we maybe don't don't use, you know, you know, when we're playing the same thing over and over again, I think we kind of go on autopilot mode. So, yeah, I would agree, actually. Yeah. I'm kind of in this kick right now in my own playing, in my own teaching of how do we practice in such a way that we absorb this mm-hmm. material deeply. So it's not on autopilot. We're incredibly focused on what we're doing. And sure. I find slow practice, just like you're describing, slow practice is among the best things to do because you can really kind of focus on each detail as it's happening. And then, so one thing I found difficult in my right. practice is listening back at that speed of me playing. You know, it mm-hmm. just feels like it's almost not related to what the excerpt should sound like, right? So do you have any specific yeah. things you're listening for, especially when you're listening slowly, 
But even in general, do you have specific things you're listening for that you can kind of make use of that slow tempo uh, recording? Oh, certainly. Um, I mean, even at those slower tempos, things can be a little uneven. So I listen for that. I listen for um, making sure that my I'm not losing any brilliance in my tone at any point. You know, because you, you can hear that. I think even when you're playing something really fast. So maybe brilliance is the wrong word, but if there's a specific color that I want and I let it drop out yeah. at a certain point, I listen for that. When we recorded this interview, Haley forgot to add at this point in the interview that she will do this slow metronome work even in the warm-up room for the audition. She described that she would play the excerpts for the round under tempo and then do a tempo check at the goal or the performance tempo, although she may not end up playing the whole entire excerpt in the, in the warm-up room. She also said that she regularly incorporates singing into her practice. I just wanted to get that voiceover in so we could get all of the good stuff she had to say. All right, back to the interview. I assume then when you speed it back up that you're listening for you know the musical just the overall musical idea or the, the character and all, you know, the color and stuff like that, but how it might be absorbed by the committee or something like that. Oh, absolutely. And making sure that while I'm listening to the recording of myself, I can also hear it fitting into the larger orchestral context. I can really hear my part fitting in with the orchestra in an appropriate way at that time. If I'm playing second, does it sound like I'm in a supportive role there or am I playing too soloistically? And, you know, vice versa. If I'm playing principal, is it soloistic enough? Is it expressive enough? Yeah, I'm interested in this because you hear this a lot. I think as a principal player, it's a little bit easier, right? Because that's the solo. Generally speaking, I think you're playing so. the solo. Yeah. As a second player, mm-hmm. how do you listen to an excerpt on a recording and say to yourself, that sounds like I'm playing in this section. Yeah, well, the thing about being a second player, you're primarily in a supporting role, so you'd want to make sure that you're playing. Well, first of all, it definitely depends on who your principal player is, because most of the time it's about blending and and matching them. Uh, But sometimes your part needs to maybe be a little bit louder than theirs so that you can really clearly hear both parts, because second flute typically you're going to be playing lower than them Mm -hmm. so you might have to play a little bit louder so that it sounds like an actual duet and not first flute plus this faint thing being played by the the second flutist but other times the second flute does have something more soloistic i mean they're actual second flute solos so you'd listen to them the same way you'd listen to a principal flute excerpt so it's about color it's about blend and that i think especially for an audition it's so tricky because you don't know unless you've played with this person before or really know they're playing really well, it's hard to know what they want to hear on the other side. Before you won this job, you were in Omaha, right? Or you're in Omaha right now, Correct. right? Yep. Yeah. So yep. it was, and you were second flute there as well? Yes. Associate principal slash second, but I played second most of the time. Okay. So mm-hmm. obviously I'm assuming that you get to a final round situation and in Cincinnati you get to a final round situation and mm-hmm. you have to play with the, the principal flute or maybe a whole section or something like that. Certainly your experiences in Omaha are going to be able to help you have gotten better at that. Do you feel there's a way to improve upon mm-hmm. your ability to play in a section and listen and blend without being in an ensemble? Like, is, does that make sense? Is there a way to do that 
for somebody who maybe is sitting at their house who's a freelancer who doesn't get to play with a group as sure. often? Oh, absolutely. And I maybe should have included this um, when I was talking about my specific prep. I play along with recording all the time. Oh, interesting. And mostly because it, it helps helps me stay inspired. It reminds me that I love what I do. I, I love playing classical music. Because when you're just playing excerpts over and over again, it can it can get boring. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it, it is tricky because sometimes you might not necessarily – I mean, you can go through as many recordings as you want. You're not always going to find yourself playing with a recording where you're really thrilled with the first flutes playing, or it's still hard to judge how loud you need to be playing, but it right. at least gives you the opportunity to play your excerpt in context. But sometimes, I haven't done this in a long time, but I would record myself playing the first part for something. If I have a second flute excerpt I'm preparing for an audition, and it's part of the duet, we have a book of standard orchestral flute duets, and it includes both parts. So I would record myself playing the first part and make sure that I play it the way I would play it as a principal player, not second. And then I'll practice along with that while playing second. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting idea. Too. Um, it just takes a little bit of extra effort to go to the trouble to record yourself and then set it up to play back. So, but it sounds like I'm sure for somebody who does not have an ensemble or regular ensemble experience, um, that would be a big help to them to be able to at least feel like you're playing with something. Oh, absolutely. You, if you just practice things on your own and you're not playing along with anything, I think it would just get stale and it would be hard to feel inspired. Yeah, interesting. What you need. kind of want to touch on this is another question that I think is interesting. You talked a little bit about this, but maybe you could expand upon it. Um, the idea of finding inspiration. Uh, this is something I'm really interested in right now is how other musicians find inspiration to push what they understand about phrasing or musicality, or maybe you hear another instrumentalist play something that inspires you and you think, oh, that's so cool. I want to be able to do that. Um, Sure. I think it's a necessary step for a lot of people because, you know, we, just because we want a job doesn't mean we're done growing, right? And so oh, absolutely. I yeah. just, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on the way that you might – I mean, again, you talked about rec listening to recordings and playing along with recordings, but uh, is there anything more? Would you like to, like, kind of talk a little bit more about how you use that to stay fresh, to stay inspired, and how you might even find new musical ideas? through that process, or if there's any other process you use to find musical inspiration? Just in general or specifically for auditions? Uh, maybe even just in general. I feel like it'll certainly apply to auditions, but uh, I, I think, sure. yeah, I mean, just in general, I'm looking for, you know, how people do this, and, and, and because I think an audition can be a wonderful opportunity for growth as a player and as oh, yeah. an instrumentalist, right? Like, kind of for you, mm -hmm. when you're, like, grinding auditions out over and over and over again, maybe it feels like you're just mm -hmm. kind of getting the getting the work in because you don't have any time. Like, you don't have that four to six weeks to grow, right? Sure. Uh, I did this Chicago audition, and I took ten weeks to prepare for it. 
And at the end of the 10 weeks, I felt like I had learned so much about being a trumpet player, about being a musician and like where Mm -hmm. my faults, like not faults, but where my weaknesses were. And I'm just curious, especially if you take that four to six weeks and you have the opportunity, are there like what ways besides, and maybe it's just as simple as I listen to recordings and that kind of works. But if you have any specific ideas um, about like how you listen to recordings, are you trying to steal from them? Are you trying to steal someone's exact interpretation? Or do you look at scores? Like mm-hmm. kind of what's your process to continue trying to improve yourself, maybe using the audition process? Sure. Uh, well, so taking auditions, you were saying that you, you learned a lot when you prepared for Chicago. And this is part of what helps keep me inspired. Every audition, I make sure that I take note of something positive that I got out of it, no matter how it went. And in that audition binder that I was telling you about, I have just a single page of typed notes that I keep in the front, especially for if I'm about to go into into a round and I feel like I'm panicking. It's just like little nice reminders of things to think about while I'm out there, things to do, whether it's mental or or physical. That helps me stay inspired because if you take a number of auditions and you don't get anywhere after a while, it is hard to stay inspired and motivated. So it's important to find at least one positive thing about each audition that you take or something that you learned. I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be positive, but you might say, okay, well, I did this and it didn't work. So I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I, I, I like that. It's so simple too, right? It's just so like one yeah. thing, what you learned, you can take that. Yeah. So it, Cause I'm big on this too. It sounds like you are as well. Like feeling like we got to find a way to make the audition feel like it was worth our time, regardless of whether yeah. we win it or not. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just it's very easy to let yourself just be too hard on yourself and yeah. see yourself as a failure. And the audition process is so difficult and so stressful. And for pretty much everyone, you're going to lose way more than you're going to win. Right. Except <laughs> for those few. <laughs> hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really tough. It's it's tough on you, especially mentally. So you have to find something positive from each one and figure out what about that audition has made you grow as a musician, as an artist, as an auditioner, as a person. So I think that's the most important thing as far as just continuing to, to take them. For staying inspired overall, for recordings, it's good to listen to a ton of different ones. And I will say for a while, I'd have a list. I would go on Spotify. I would search for the piece. And whatever the first recording came up, I'd be like, all right, cool. And then I'd put it onto the playlist that I was making. And, you know, it worked for just reminding myself of how things sounded. But it's amazing how an ensemble can play one piece so completely differently than another. Yeah, yeah. And it it really um, ultimately you're going to have your own personal touch to everything that you play. No single person is going to play anything like you. Obviously, you can't go too far out of the box, especially in audition, but the more recordings you listen to, I think the more informed you will be. And you will you might hear something you've never heard before, and you say, oh, I kind of like that. Maybe I'll try that. I would just say, if, especially right before an audition, if you're going to listen to something, listen to the one that makes you the most excited. But in the earlier stages and through the middle, listen to as many as you can. And for me to really get into it, I gotta, I have to blast it. You know, <laughs> headphones, speakers. I don't want to hear anything else. I just, I want to feel like I'm sitting 
in the orchestra playing along with them, whether I'm playing along or just listening, you know, really put yourself there. Yeah. You know, obviously it's different if you're going to do some score study and I really should do score study a lot more. I definitely do that. if It's a piece I'm really not familiar with, but a lot of the excerpts that we learn, at least for flute, you're going to be studying those scores when you're in school. Right. So right. you don't always have to go back to them unless there's something you're forgetting or you just need a reminder. But for pieces that you really don't know, if you can access the score, do it. Yeah, this kind of leads me into uh, there's definitely two big things that I'm really curious about now. One of them, you already kind of tapped into it, would be the idea of being informed. And then the other one you kind of talked a little bit about I'd like to expand upon would be you said you gave yourself these things to think about right before in case you were freaking out. And this is just like ties directly into sort of like mental self speak your mental state in general and how I think that's actually one of, if not the most important part of what will determine your success in an audition. So I think we should start with the informed part of it. I have this, you know, when I was in school, I played things the way my teachers told me to play it. Right. And I had a lot of confidence because I had great teachers. And so I just believed in them that if I played it that way, I'd be successful. And to a certain extent, that ended up being true. But now that I'm out of my own a little bit and I'm sort of developing my own sense of self as a player, I'm starting to realize that I just don't have that that same kind of informed confidence that I may have had when I just sort of believed what my teacher told me. And so maybe we don't need to cover it too much, but I just wanted – I might even leave this whole thing out. But because you talked about you might decide you like this and listening to a ton of recordings, you hear tons of different things. And I'm just curious if you have a take on how to develop your sense of self because we hear this all the time, right? Play like you. We want your personality. Like you said, nobody's going to play it like you. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on how to develop your own sort of sense of self as a player that maybe is sort of like somebody's playing – but it's not going to be a, a direct copy of somebody's playing. Right. Well, I've been really fortunate. My teachers, I have the same teachers for undergrad and then for my doctorate. I'm not actually finished, but I've completed all my um, lessons, I, I think. But especially as I got older for them, they were really, obviously if I did something expression-wise that was way too out of the box, they would tell me. But for the most part, they were really helping me with technical things or, or things that I could do with my body to help improve my sound and anything like that. But they really were making sure that it was still me. And there are, you know, I don't need to say anyone names, but there are teachers out there that really want you to sound just like them. And it is a problem because then you get out in the real world later and it's hard to find yourself. Is there like a path that you think people can kind of follow that helps them find themselves? I mean, maybe like you were saying, maybe recording, listening to recordings or Mm -hmm. something. Is there anything else you can think of that might help people? Well, here's what I will say worked for me, and it's not necessarily going to work for everyone. But all through high school, at least once I got really serious about music, so I guess my sophomore year, sophomore year of high school through, I guess, my sophomore year of college, I was that person who was in the practice room any free second that I had. We're talking like eight to ten hours in a practice room. Wow. I don't regret it. I don't regret it because at least my technique was always great. But my musicianship felt like I was progressing much more slowly than most people. 
and especially in, in college and undergrad, that was always the toughest thing in my lessons was being able to just let go and be my own artist. And I think because I was spending most of my time, I mean, really, unless I was in class or eating, sleeping or at the gym, I was in a practice room. And finally, it became too much. I, I started having issues with my, my shoulders. It was just way too hard on my body. I just, I cut back to like four hours a day. It was scary at first because I thought, I think I really was practicing out of fear for a long time. So I practiced this little, I'm, I'm like never going to get a job and I'm going to have to do something else. But once I cut my practice time in half like that, I had more free time to enjoy life. And that's when my musicality started to grow. Hmm, interesting. And even my teachers were commenting on it. I'd have recitals, and I, afterwards they'd be like, now you really are being an artist. You've always been a good flute player. Your technique is great. You have good control of tone. But getting you to open up and be expressive has been the biggest struggle. And then I just decided to let myself live and still work hard. And that's when I started playing more musically. You know, and, and honestly, I wish I had gotten into that mindset when I was in high school because I spent my last two years of high school at Interlochen where you've got every type of artist there. You've right. got people doing dance, visual arts, and I would go to different things. But, man, I should have just gone to everything <laughs> because, really, you should take inspiration anywhere you can get it. I think that's what ultimately turns you into the artist that you, oh. you become. That's so well said. That's what I think. So, oh, again, again, <laughs> my, my, there might be people who do need to spend eight hours in a, in a practice room. I don't know. But that's, that's when things really changed for me is when I allowed myself to have a life. Yeah. Cool. So that's so important. Find balance in your life. Do not spend every waking hour of free time on an audition. You will just be stressed. It will not go well. And then you will get frustrated. And it turns into this vicious To me, finding a great mental space to perform in is the most important part of being successful at an audition. You can be able to nail every single excerpt, but if the stress of the audition gets to be too much, it can feel difficult to have command over your skills. Since Haley has taken so many auditions, I figured she would have had time to learn about how to do this for herself, so I asked her the question, how have you approached building a good mental space so you could be successful in your audition? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, my life, I don't have to go into too much detail. My life has been very stressful the last several years. I left a very secure job, went back to school. I took a lot of risks. I've moved to a different place almost every year the last several years, and I'm still taking out auditions. So it is very hard to stay sane <laughs> when, when you have, you know, and musicians in general, I think we tend to be a little bit more sensitive and prone to insecurities. So it is hard. I would say, so for auditions, like once I'm there, well, let me, let me, let me dial it back. 
in addition to practicing excerpts and doing all the recording stuff, everything that I've talked about previously, something that one of my best friends taught me to do is to take time. It's kind of like meditation, but put yourself in the hall. Even if you've never been there, just imagine you're, you're on stage and there's a screen and like go through the audition in your mind and take time to do that like once a day if you can. And that way, when you get to the audition, you're like, oh, I've done this a bunch of times. This is no sweat. Yeah. That is very helpful. Yeah. Doing that. You also mentioned you had that binder um, where you had the, like the sort yeah. of the positive things. Can, I mean, you don't have to, but do you mind sure. sort of revealing what some of those things might be on there? Well, most of them for me are like physical things because that's always been – my biggest hurdles are kind of physical problems that get in the way. Like I, I have a tendency to like tighten up in my, in my chest. So reminders to like release your, your chest, just relax and let them, you know, if you could see the music, it'd be coming out of you from there. Mm. Um, oh, that's cool. th- those kinds of things, because the physical things that tends to be when you're nervous, the nervousness manifests itself in, in physical ways. So for me, it's just mostly pointers on those, kinds of things. Also, uh, making sure that I keep my lips in a certain shape, not letting them get too relaxed. I used to carry a lot of tension in my face and my jaw, so it's just reminders to, like, loosen that up. My teacher at Eastman uh, is a very kind of abstract teacher. She uses a lot of, like, visual imagery, and it doesn't work for everyone, but it, it works for me and, and the majority of her students, I would say. But, you know, she'll t- say things like, imagine you're lying in a bathtub full of melted chocolate (laughs) and for some excerpts like that really works for me so it's not even necessarily on that that sheet that I have it's at the top of one excerpt I'll write Mm -hmm. just like melted chocolate and it'll just put me in the right mental space for that excerpt and and then other than these like physical things to remind myself of other reminders that are very important like remember that success as a human being is not contingent on this one audition I like that you know it's important. It takes yeah. a lot of pressure off. And it took me a while to get there. I mean, really, I would, out of the 29 auditions, audition number 21 out of 29 is when I finally realized that. The audition went, well, I didn't get as far as I was hoping I would, and I just broke down afterwards. And I had a long talk with my best friend, who's also a seasoned audition taker. And he said, remember that these auditions do not define you, first of all, as a person and, and on your success. Yeah, right. And once I was able to let go of that, things started to change for me. This is a bit of a taboo subject, so I'm hoping to sort of, you know, like blow the lid off of this a little bit. Oh, I, already, but, I already know what you're going to ask. Yeah. Do you take beta blockers for auditions? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So even after all that stuff you do to get your mind in the right place and have all these physical cues to help you out, like you sure. still feel like beta blockers are a tool that you use for Do you probably, I assume you probably don't use them for every performance ever, but something like stressful, like an audition, you would use them uh, for that. Yeah. I usually, before every audition, I set an alarm on my phone and remind myself to take it at least half an hour before I'm going to go on stage, but... Yeah, and if it's a concert, I have something very exposed, I will take it. But, no, there is no shame in taking beta blockers. They're wonderful. And no matter how many auditions you take and what you learn and all these, like I said, I have the long list of the physical things. 
it's still a high pressure situation. There's going to be nerves and you can't control all of it. Yeah, right. And beta blockers, they do not affect your brain in any way. It lowers your blood pressure. And so if you have any of those physical symptoms associated with nervousness, your hands shaking, getting sweaty, and that's what it really was for me for a long time, it will just calm that down and you really don't need to take that much. I think I would say the only negative thing about them is I sometimes get dry mouth from them. But also, you can get dry mouth from nerves. Right. Yeah. No, that's something so, I started experiencing, you know, put, getting dry mouth before. And I, like, I had never gotten it before in my life. And then all of a sudden, these huge auditions, mm -hmm. I'm getting dry mouth and I can't oh, yeah. play the instrument. And I was like, maybe I should just drink some water before the audition, you know? like. Yeah. And so, well, specifically about dry mouth, just a couple pointers. And you've probably, you've maybe heard these already, but... So water, even if you're drinking water, it can actually dry your mouth out even more, especially mm. when you're nervous. I have started putting lemon or lime in my water because it keeps you salivating. Mm -hmm. So that helps. Also, my friend Brittany Foster, she's in the Navy band. She told me that you can buy biotin. <laughs> it's like a spray or a liquid for, like, people with dentures. <laughs> okay. And you can, like... Rub a little bit in your mouth, and it'll, like, help prevent dry mouth. So I did that once, and it worked pretty well. That's awesome. The links so. will go, you know. <laughs> so random. Yeah, but, yeah, I'll, you, you do what you have to. But, yeah, I definitely found that putting some type of citrus fruit in your water, it will help keep your mouth from getting too dry. Cool. Um, well, I appreciate yeah. you sharing about that. Uh, and, like, yeah, I'm, I think it's going to be something I'm going to ask everybody is do you take beta blockers? Because sure. I just think more people do it than we think, yeah. and then we get this idea that this person yeah. has conquered and climbed this mountain that, like, is impossible to do. And it ultimately, like, you won this awesome job, and you took them, and it's like, I don't know if people are taking them, and it's like, whatever, you know? It, it shouldn't be this taboo thing that yeah. you're not good enough that you, you know, that you can't do it. So I appreciate you being open about yeah. that. Yeah. It, it, it's becoming less taboo, I think, and people need to know that it, is not going to have any impact on your level of artistry or musicianship. It doesn't fall into that category at all, but I'm sure there are tons of just incredible musicians out there who have all these great ideas and play super expressively, and then the nerves kick in, and they can't do it because their fingers are shaking. Right. Or they're, you know, they're, they're, you can hear the shakiness in their tone. Taking, taking a, a medication to prevent that has nothing to do with right. their level of control or artistry. But I do think the work that you yeah. described, you know, like telling yourself your success is not contingent upon this one audition or your worth yeah. is not, I still feel like that's so valuable, right? Like not necessarily a beta yeah. blockers isn't a cure all necessarily, but they're like no. all of this work is still valuable to do as a human being to realize that even to go back to earlier in the interview that putting an, an emphasis on the growth, and sort of the progress you can make through the process of auditioning, whether or not you have four to six weeks and you can really grow, or you have a whole bunch of auditions in a row and you just kind of get good at taking auditions. Right. That has a lot of value in and of itself and that we should be, as a culture, I think, valuing that above the result of the audition itself. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I feel like it takes a while for people to realize that, so... The sooner people can make that realization or hear it from someone else, the better. I agree, yeah.
This episode with Haley was really wonderful to do. I thought interviewing a flute player would be so much different than interviewing brass players, but so much of what she said is totally applicable to everyone. I appreciated how open she was about her struggles and how she overcame them. All of that work she did to understand that one audition will not define her success is so important. Realizations like this are paramount to being able to focus on the right things in the audition so that you can be free to enjoy making music and appreciate the growth you have made through the process. I think that's going to be all for this episode. I would like to thank Haley Bangs for giving her time and knowledge to help us all learn a little bit more about auditions. If you enjoyed this episode or others on the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and a review, I would really appreciate it. Doing that will help others find the podcast and be able to enjoy it themselves. And also, it's kind of nice to read a nice review on iTunes. I'm not going to lie. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.